0: Welcome to episode 30 of the joy of writing back after the winter break perhaps this is a solar powered podcast in this episode i'm talking again with fiona melrose author of midwinter and johannesburg we discuss how she approaches her own writing the central place it has in her life and how she likes to teach aspiring writers Uh, midwinter did well got shortlisted for the baileys prize uh, sorry, long yeah. listed That's for the Bayes Prize. Well done. And then your second book, shortly afterwards, Johannesburg, uh, shortlisted for the Encore Prize, which is the prize for best second novel. So congrats for that. Um, and, and I know you've mentioned book three, uh, which I believe you've finished. And can you say anything about it, or would that jinx the whole project?
1: Oh no, I, I'm not superstitious about okay. all, you know. I, mean, I know some are, and I can sort of understand that there might be. It's at the moment it's called. I give you my word, right. um, but I I do have a history of being quite bad with book titles, so that may change. I am yeah. frequently hold. I'm terrible at book titles, so at the moment is called. I give you my word. Um, it's taken me a very long time to write. It's um, it was technically difficult. I I don't have the the brain of a thriller writer and a sort of a a sort of where I can see the great machinations of of a novel with multiple storylines doesn't come naturally to me and I wish I was a thriller writer for this book it would have been so much easier I think Uh Um, but it's a novel I'm very close to probably because I only finished it over Easter so it still feels very very present Um, and it's back to Suffolk again turn to suffolk um but but different um contemporary suffolk and historical suffolk uh, a particular house in suffolk okay. and i won't, I won't say, and also Alburgh, but i won't i won't say uh, too no. much more it's still with my agent she's she's reading it now next week or something okay. and uh, we'll see if she likes it if she doesn't we'll we'll i'll phone you up and demand you delete this segment <laughs> 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 that's
0: fine that's how well. I hopefully she does like it, and hopefully you know gets gets at home, published, and, and does well. Um, on the whole, business of being an author, because of course none of us are full time authors; we've all got other jobs. Um, how, how does being an author sort of fit with you in, on the scale of sort of um, things to do with your life? And how important was it for you to get your first and second books published? And what does it all mean to you? Is it uh, is it just a side thing or is it much more of a central you know um, it's, it's, thing completely
1: in your central. it's okay. everything it's yeah. absolutely everything i i feel like i fit the rest of my life around writing uh-huh. and that uh-huh. includes making a living um yeah. much i mean much to my horror i have to make a living <laughs> isn't that annoying um which i think all of us do you know all yeah. writers you know <laughs> yeah they are the sort of five we can mention on one hand who who don't have that juggling act yeah. um but everything i i the writing comes first I, I i'm very i'm very um scheduled i map out my week the writing goes in first and oh, then wow. I fit around everything else around it um and I'm quite ruthless in that and quite um s- structured in that and i find if i don't if if i don't do that. It can unravel really really quickly, and weeks yeah. can, can drift by. Um, yeah, it's it's I think it's difficult I think I think I think it's for everyone to find their own way and what works for them mm-hmm. um, I mean that's,
0: that's that's interesting. you say you know you schedule your writing first and then the full time job can go in around it.
1: yeah yeah but I, I
0: suppose if you it, if you want to write and you want to get it done, um, it's probably got to be something like that.
1: Mm, exactly, exactly. Even if you're writing, I mean, when I wrote Midwinter, I wrote from Friday afternoon until early Monday morning, and I would do a chapter a weekend. I'd get the, right. the bones down over a weekend, um, and then edit during the week. But the week was difficult. I was doing 12-hour shifts, and it was difficult right. to work um, yeah. on the book a week. But you, you do what you have to, I think I think it becomes, you have to be quite ruthless, I'm sure, I'm sure you, uh. know, I'm sure you you feel that you have to be quite, mercy, you know, and say, "No, I'm not coming to your boring birthday party. I'm writing my book."
0: Well, that that is a very good point. I, I have, yeah, I would agree with that. You have to be, you you do have to be very um, firm with, you know. The, I I think you, what you're saying is you found what you want to do in life. Yeah, um, and you're going to do it. Thanks. Yeah. <laughs> and
1: it's, it's every, it's everything. It's everything to right. me. It's not. I don't. I don't apologise for that. I'm. I'm ambitious and i'm um, i want to i want to do the best I can do i want to okay. i want to write masterpieces i mean I know that sounds ridiculous, and of course you fall short uh, you know obviously you fall short but i I don't want to I want to write absolutely the best version of that book I can manage yeah um, yeah and do what it takes to make that happen yeah um, and of course you fail and full sure of course i mean that's normal but you have to you have to try
0: <laughs> yeah so that that brings me on to one of the the best questions I, i've managed to ask um, people on the podcast is what counts to you as success in writing mm-hmm. i mean you've, you've you've published two you've, you've got one on uh, we'll, i'm sure we'll get published and uh, another one on the way i know so but what is it yeah. Well, what is the answer to that question? What for you would be success in writing? If you mm. write a masterpiece, or um, or what would it be?
1: Yeah, well, sure, but I mean, I don't know who's judging that, you know? Right. <laughs> yeah. Maybe if the time says it's a masterpiece, hurrah! I've written a masterpiece. <laughs> um, <laughs> I think it changes. I'm sure. You know, when you your your first novel, you just want to finish it, and then you think, yeah. oh, I want to get published. So of course, it changes over your career. I think for me, the a measure or I think the ability to write whatever you want to write and be as creative and adventurous and ambitious with form and content and everything and have that freedom because your publisher trusts you right. because of your track record yeah I think that to me is is success and and whether that takes a big winning a big prize to to open that door uh-huh. Maybe the case, you know. Maybe oh well, that person's won the Booker Prize now, so we better just let them write this mad six novel or yeah. or, or whatever it is. You know, I, I think that kind of creative freedom to me would be a measure of success, where you're not constantly having not to self censor, but but think oh well, I better rein that in a bit because will it be sellable? Or you know, there's that that kind of constraint. Yeah, which to me. The absence of which would would now be a measure of success. And I have told my friends if I win the Booker Prize, I'm allowed a golden retriever. So,
0: okay.
1: <laughs> so the, the proximity of a golden retriever in my life is also a measure of success. Uh, I like
0: that. So, uh,
1: sorry. Uh, and on cue, my dogs start barking. I'm sorry. <laughs> when you
0: said golden retriever. Yeah.
1: They go. Um, up. They said, not here. <laughs>
0: I think you're quite right about uh, you cannot second guess how your book will be received and, and in any terms of commercial sales and all that. But it, it's much more a um, yeah, much more a personal thing of writing the very mm-hmm. best book you pers you personally can. I mean, what else mm-hmm. can you pick, really? Yeah.
1: Yeah, and you want, of course, you want good reviews. I mean, I'm not, I'm not so. Yeah. It's also, I also don't. When people say we don't read reviews, I think oh, nonsense. Of course you do. You Google them at midnight. You know? Yeah. <laughs> kind of. <laughs> of course reviews from respected peers and are are for me also valuable. Um I, I mean I don't I don't really care what websites say or whatever, but if somebody you respect as a peer, a yeah. fellow writer or a critic sees something of value in your book, that is of course hugely gratifying and and welcome and it's there's a kind of generosity on their behalf that's appreciated.
0: Yeah, for sure. And sort of any particular reviews or comments from readers or other people that have really hit home in, in good ways or maybe unsettling ways or, or slightly negative ways. I mean, how how is the, how do you like the reaction from people who read your books?
1: Um, I don't. So I always I can't remember who gave me this advice, and it was another writer, and I've now forgotten who said it to me. But they said take the best review you've got and the worst review you've got because the truth is somewhere in between okay and I yeah. think that's really helpful and grounding and useful as a writer yeah um, I did get one review on Amazon that somebody said it's the worst book he's ever read in his life and he wants his money back that oh, one I, remember. I laughed so hard I can't I can't I just thought this was the funniest <laughs> thing i would ever read that I remember. That was my worst review by an Amazon buyer and then, um, and then I did get a a review of Midwinter from Melissa Harrison, who at the time i didn't i didn't I know her now, I didn't know her then, and I so admired her and it was um her book Clay, that I'd read and thought oh you you can write novels about the countryside and about tractors and roads <laughs> it's it's okay that's yeah. allowed and I was so admiring of her work. And then she wrote a lovely, lovely review of Midwinter and The Guardian. And that for me felt like huge kudos. That's that somebody who I considered a such a wonderful writer in in a, in a sort of broadsheet had, had written such a lovely review felt like the pinnacle of success right. <laughs> when right, Midwinter absolutely. came yeah. yeah. So I think that strikes me as the sort of probably the the nicest review I got. Yeah. From
0: Wow. I mean, the bad review sounds like someone who received the book and it was damaged in the post or something. Um, <laughs>
1: it did make me laugh. I thought, I thought, oh, dear. I mean, you know, he needs a cup of tea and a biscuit, this one. He yeah, <laughs> I think you're right.
0: Uh,
1: um,
0: now, I, n- I know that you also um, teach creative writing. Yes. And um, I wondered what was your general sort of approach um, to that so how is it an easy thing to sum up or how would you sort of go about it
1: um it is my approach is not the approach anyone else takes if if somebody does a course with me they never land up getting lists of various points of view and various points of, of narration they yeah. never land up learning about the different tenses or <laughs> it may be it may come up but i I really am dubious of these courses, which are just um, a sort of glorified version of a grammar grammar class. Yeah, I don't see the point of that. I also don't believe you can teach people to write in the sense that if if they don't have a quality of observation or a subtlety of mind, they're ever going to have it. Yeah, don't I don't believe that.
0: I would agree with
1: that. by the same token I also think that everyone should have the opportunity to write yeah. that doesn't mean they're entitled to be published yeah. but if somebody would like to write they should have the joy of that and, wh- and why not I also don't believe in in discouraging somebody because they're bad at something if if there's a joy in that they, they should absolutely yeah. be there so I think my approach to writing is less about making something up this idea that you arrive in a class and now we're going to we're going to write a novel, we're going to make up a story. I don't necessarily believe that's what's there, rather it's I teach from the assumption that the novel already exists outside of yourself as a a fully formed object, a thing. Yeah. And your job as the writer is the process of revelation. It's more an archaeology of of dusting away and unlocking all the little doors and revealing the thing that's already there in the way that a sculptor might reveal a form in in rock and so the the teaching that i do is more around teaching writers how to do that than sit and learn how to plot a novel and you've got to have a protagonist and an antagonist i mean to me this is just absolute bollocks it really is it's just (laughs) couldn't be more ridiculous. Yeah. Just this is for this is for children. This is composition for children. Um, I just think it has to. There's something much more intuitive, much more interesting yeah. in a revelatory approach to writing. I, I, I would agree with
0: that. I think. Um, I suppose it has its places in some things, uh, films, screenplays, or I don't know. But I think uh, that's uh, a yeah, different
1: discipline, though. I mean, that's a different discipline. they actual they're, yeah. actual, they're technical necessities in writing a screenplay that you simply must learn you know I I, there are things I I don't know how to write a screenplay and I would need to go on a course and and just the technical aspects I would need to to learn and you can teach some aspects of writing you can teach people or remind them that they need light and shade you can remind them that the past tense naturally renders things more nostalgic and if they want to Case things up but they need to bring their tense forward of course all these things are there but I I find this sort of writing by numbers approach incredibly depressing yeah Um, and also the the process of learning to write is the process of learning to read better so that's also a lot of my teaching revolves around reading and and becoming a better reader because that is what is lacking you can consume 500 books a year you still may not know how to read properly so it's it's more it's a little bit more esoteric than i think some people are, <laughs> are hoping for when they sign up it is it's a much more fluid more esoteric more intuitive yeah, way of to absolutely. write but there's some beautiful books coming out of my classes which i'm really excited to, to, see, to see finished so if some people seem to respond to it yeah
0: yeah, I mean, I, I get that intuitive. I think that that's the key, isn't it? It's 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 trying to think of why you have the notion in the first place that you want to write a book. You know, let let's let's try and follow that that line. I like the idea of the revelatory, uncover um, the structure, the story. You know, and I'm 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 always one for a good metaphor. So uh, I, I always think that you're um, digging on the beach or something, and you find one thing. Which looks like you know the wooden prow of a ship. You turn your back, you come back, you you look at it again, and oh no, it's not. It's um you know a a, a, a metal pipe or something from somewhere. But you just got to you've got to keep mm. digging and uh, try and uncover that thing that is waiting for you. But the process of uncovering changes it, uh, as it were. You know, it's it, it's you, yeah. You just got to keep going down that rabbit hole until you unearth. Um, unearth that thing waiting for you because yeah i I suppose that that trigger in your mind to say i think i want to write a book now it must it must sort of be welling up from somewhere where the book's there or Mm -hmm. or the or the the kernel of the story it might not be absolutely the last you know every last word but um yeah i do appreciate that intuitive um approach um so how how do you get people to actually actualize that and and get on with their writing in that way
1: um I mean it's just work isn't it i mean i think that's also a lot of a lot of the mythology around around writing is is the the complete lack of understanding of just hours and hours and hours and years of work i mean it's just that and i think what i find my students often are quite depressed about is that how much of a novel you spend just moving people around a room which sounds ridiculous but you think oh oh he's in the wrong house i've got to get him back across so i've got you're just moving characters around they're driving here they're walking there they're opening doors they're shutting with there's just it's just tedious as hell isn't it yeah. <laughs> just, um so there's a lot of that but what i always tell students when they're starting to write is that they all make the massive mistake which is snoopy's mistake uh and poor snoopy he's still sitting on his roof and he starts with Chapter one, line one. It was a dark and stormy night.
0: Uh, right. Okay. And yeah. Snoopy
1: never gets further. And no. I think how I get people to start their novels is to just to, to start anywhere. I just start with a scene, yep. start with physical ex- experience.
0: Yeah.
1: Often tell them to start. Always start with something physical, whether you're describing a landscape or describing a body on a chair, or if you're describing a physical sensation or the weather. Start with something physical. It grounds the reader, grounds the writer, and then let it run and see where right. you land up, and then put it aside and then write another scene and another scene. They could be completely unrelated, but what connects them is you, the writer. Right.
0: So um, rather like um, Midwinter started with a short story about the fox. Yeah. You, you have that. You know that that. Um, I mean, obviously, much more than a scene, but. Um, you're right you want to do you want you you're right you could just start anywhere in it and the job of reorganization where where does chapter 1 actually appear um comes much later yeah yeah so again i mean it's much more um seat of the pants approach isn't it rather than the yeah. dreaded the dreaded plotting uh, <laughs> which I, i'm not a fan of plotting i think you've just got to um just write and uh, i prefer things like the snowflake idea where you you start with a strand and, um, or a part of the flake, and grow it organically, and, and just see what happens. I mean,
1: yeah, that would be the yeah. I I would definitely agree with that. I think it's um, it's. I mean, it's a different kind. I think if you're writing a crime novel, obviously it's different. You have to plot it meticulously. You need to know which room.
0: It's got to work. Yeah. In
1: they, I mean, you know, and I admire that hugely because I don't have a brain that can hold all that kind of information simultaneously. Yeah, I, I wish I really, did, but I don't. Yeah. Um, but I certainly for literary fiction, I, I find, for me anyway, it, it works to just sort of run with it and then write a sort of really dirty draft and then mm. fix it up later. Yeah. And as you say, move things around and cut things out and add in scenes to link things and, um, yes. and just like that. And I think that's where the exciting stuff comes from. And I, I certainly notice I with my students, they come up with some properly bonkers stuff. But it's magical and it's wonderful, yeah. and it's it feels exciting to read it, because as you say, it's been fly by the seat of your pants writing comes through. They don't know where it's going, so then you don't either. It's mm. um, yeah, I, I think that's that's more my approach.
0: Yeah, <laughs> I, I do. I do like that. I mean, just just, just write and 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 organize it later. Um, Oh, it sounds so easy.
1: (laughs) (laughs) So write the book and then organise it later. (laughs) Phone me in six months. (laughs) Um,
0: Where did it all start for you, um, the love of writing and and wanting to be a writer? Can you pinpoint a moment where that that thought occurred to you?
1: No, I never... I have always written, I wrote little diaries as a child, I think because my granny used to give me so much stationery, I sort of thought, oh God, I better write something in (laughs) all the pretty... You know the hello kitty notebooks i better fill them up so maybe that's okay. where it began. it was my overabundance of pretty stationery as a child um oh, and but I, I, uh, yeah that's good yeah well i think you know people say oh well you know i had the calling i was like no i just i, I love i, I have a stationery fetish i love yeah. pretty notebooks. <laughs> you know that's the reason but um i didn't grow up in a literary household i didn't know any writers i grew up in apartheid south africa so there was no the idea of being a writer as a career or it it was just it didn't even occur to me it wasn't it wasn't I didn't know you could do such a thing I mean obviously somebody had to be writing the books but they certainly didn't live where I lived Um, and we had uh, you know a lot of thousands of books were banned Um, then there were cultural sanctions so there were even fewer books so it wasn't a, a culture that necessarily encouraged literature at all. And certainly in my family, we're we're not interested in literature, they were interested in, in kind of political biographies. And I think my father read a Wilbur Smith every year at December. And that was it, you know, I think that was the kind of (laughs) his Christmas present Wilbur Smith. And that was the extent of it. Um, But I think, um, I don't know, I don't know when I thought, oh, I can write a book, I think I had a, a go at it about, 10 years previous to writing Midwinter, I had a story I wanted to write. And I was mm. always told I could write well at school, but what does that mean? I don't know what that means. That's not the same. Um, and then I just sort of fell into writing a novel. I sort of fell into I did do a course, I did an MA at um, Birkbeck. Yes. Um, not necessarily because I wanted to publish a novel, and I arrived on the first day, and everyone had read novels I'd never heard of.
0: Okay.
1: And they were all unbelievably ambitious, and, oh, I'm going to publish this, and do you know this agent and that? And I thought, I, have no, what a, I don't know what any of them are talking about. Um, I was just there to have something to do, so I didn't die of the lack of mental stimulation in rural Suffolk. You know, I just thought this would be nice, something sure. fun to do. Sure. And then out of that, I became more ambitious as I went. I suddenly thought, oh, I could do this, and I think rather ungenerously we were in one workshop, and you know the awful workshop situation where people read their work out and you think, oh God, and I thought, I'm better than me than that one, and that boy who thinks he's going to be published, my book's better than his. Yeah. And then this horrible competitive side of me started really cranking up, <laughs> and I thought, well, if they think they can get published, why do I not think I can get published?
0: Right. Fair enough.
1: And yeah. It, uh, took off from there. So then I think I, then I got, yeah, and then I sort of got my teeth into it, and, and then really went for it. Yeah.
0: So you must have a host of sort of favourite authors, maybe that um, uh, you know that that you, that you admire, and you think, ooh, I wouldn't mind if I could do something like that, for example.
1: Yeah, I mean the the, con- the contemporary writer who I couldn't do anything like her because I'm completely different way of writing and a worldview. And I'm not sure anyone has a worldview like hers, Deborah Levy. I just think she's extraordinary. I Mm -hmm. I just sort of she's one of the gargoyles above my door. I just adore her and I gobble down everything she writes and everything she says and every interview.
0: Yeah.
1: Um I think she's just wonderful and and there are any any number of of others. I I respond to poets as well. I think that's a huge influence in my life and I think actually for midwinter when I felt I was losing Landon's voice a bit, cause it was quite hard flipping between Vail and Landon's voices. Yes.
0: Um,
1: I and I was so
0: They're related, to aren't they, keep literally. them separate.
1: Yeah. Um was I would listen to Seamus Heaney reading his his good earthy good earthy Irish poems. <laughs> yeah. Um and that got me back into 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 his voice. Um, yeah. and he's he's a huge influence on me. Also, in terms of writing the natural world and ted Hughes um, yeah often it's it's poetry actually weirdly that, that that kind of keeps me sustained in terms of influence
0: because i I know it's just coming back to midwinter you are you're, you're good on dialogue um you know there's a lot of dialogue which really sets sets the characters, and you can really imagine being in the same room chatting with them um is, is, is where where did that come from, if if anywhere, or is is that just all you? That's not you seeing another author.
1: Um, I think I'm a good listener. I think uh-huh. I think there's something to do. I heard somebody say, if you're musical and you can you have perfect pitch, you'll write good dialogue okay. because you can you can hear the intonations and you can hear the 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 breath in the middle of a word or the the subtleties and. I think I spent a lot of time listening to good old Suffolk boys in the pubs going on about the most inane things you've ever heard in your life and but being fascinated by the, the language and the, the rhythms and yeah. and things like that. So I thank you for saying that. I, I don't know I don't really know where that comes from. <laughs> I couldn't I uh, couldn't really say but I know like Zadie Smith is brilliant at dialogue and uh-huh. she always says play to your strengths. So if you're good at dialogue, just make a book of dialogue.
0: Well, yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, I can Im- I can imagine that if you you're in a place uh, you know Suffolk you know listening to to the way people speak is is uh, sort of musical isn't it it's the cadence as they discuss you yeah. know the uh, the latest in tractors or combine harvesters or or sugar beet that's what I remember from my childhood oh, lots of sugar beet
1: egg- acres of sugar beet yeah,
0: yeah. <laughs> well i mean fabulous to talk to you it's been a real pleasure and I really enjoyed Midwinter it took me back to um, Suffolk where I grew up Um, not in the the exact same spot but I was there with you with your characters and I I really enjoyed that a great deal Um, so thank you for that and really best of luck with book three book four and I'm sure there'll be many more so um, Fiona it's been an absolute pleasure thank you so much
1: it's been mine Mark thank you so much for your reading and your energy and your wonderful questions thank you (laughs)